For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to our Giants beat reporter, Andy Baggerly, who wrote a 10-year anniversary special about the San Francisco Giants' improbable win over the Philadelphia Phillies and the road that it took to win that 2010 championship. I know we've looked back at this before, and we've looked back at all of the big moments it took. The final day of the season in 2010, the big trades they made, Buster Posey's debut and Rookie of the Year campaign in 2010. But Andy Baggerly wrote a great piece after spending an hour on the phone with Bruce Bochy talking about some of the smaller tinker moves that they had to make. We'll take a look back at the crazy moments of the 2010 season as they happened 10 years ago. It's Wednesday, October 28th. Fun time to bring in Andy Baggerly now. Probably one of the more fun topics we've gotten to discuss in a while, not just focusing on 49er football, but on something celebratory as we've just passed the 10-year anniversary of the San Francisco Giants winning a pennant and going on to beat the Texas Rangers in the World Series, that Game 6 win over Philadelphia. And Andy, you wrote a piece last week where you highlighted, after you talked to Bruce Bochy, some of the 10, what would you call it, the 10 angles or 10 moments that maybe we don't talk about the most when talking about that 2010 pennant? Yeah, sort of the 10 of, of, of many, but uh, 10 that stand out of, of just little bits of serendipity that had to happen. Uh, you know, the things, I guess you always hear about the butterfly wing effect. You know, one little thing can change everything after it or before it. But things that were kind of almost out of the Giants' control in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, some of them were things that they controlled. One of the factors was that, you know, someone like Dick Tidrow had to come along uh, with the 10th overall pick in the draft two years in a row and decide that Tim Lincecum and Madison Bumgarner were the best players available, two pitchers who couldn't be any more different. So, I mean, that's just making a good baseball decision, and that's what goes into World Series. So that's not really as quirky, but that was when Bruce Bochy brought up. He said, hey, look, what had to happen for us to win? We had to have the kind of pitching that would match up against anybody to beat a team like the Phillies and the NLCS, and then obviously to beat the Rangers, who had just pummeled everybody to get to the World Series. So that was one of his. I like to look at the really quirky ones. You know, the fact that you look at games one of the NLDS against the Braves. And we always remember, hey, Tim Lincecum threw a two-hit shutout and struck out 14, and it's one of the best postseason games ever pitched. But we forget that that one run that the Giants scored to win one nothing, you know, Buster Posey was thrown out on a busted hit and run trying to steal second base, except, whoop, nope, he wasn't thrown out because... Paul Emmel, the second base umpire, called him safe and there was no instant replay to overturn it. So, you know, you always wonder about those little things that that had to happen and just how kind of lucky in a lot of respects the Giants were, how everything had to kind of line up for that team to do it. And yet they were talented enough and they were just bold and nutty enough uh, to be able to do it too. So fun look back with Bruce Bochy and, and we kind of swapped some stories and, and I learned which ones that he reflects on and, and I told him about the ones that I reflect on. So that was fun to do. It's funny that you say there was no instant replay, because if I recall correctly, there was instant replay, but only for home runs, right? That's correct. Yeah, when they first started with instant replay, it was only for boundary calls on home runs, and they were crew chief instituted reviews. There was no manager challenge. So when you go back to the very, very famous, well, maybe it's not that famous, but it should be, event in Giants history, when Benji Molina hit a home run and did not get credited for a run scored, that was because he had stopped at first base, exited for a pinch runner, and then Omar Vizquel says, wait a second, no, I think I heard it hit the metal roof, and that means it's a homer. And that was the first year, I want to say 2009 or 2008 maybe, uh, when they had reviews for home runs, but there wasn't the whole rollout of instant replay at that point with manager challenges, etc. 
It's funny. I think I was at that game. I think I was sitting in center field, and I want to say that game ended with like an Eugenio Velez walk-off hit up the middle. But I got to that point with you because I'm so glad you brought up the Benji Molina moment in history where he hit that ball off the overhang because he was another one of your moments. That's sort of the butterfly effect thing that happened in 2010. And we talked so much about Buster Posey and, and, and kickstarting his career and winning National League Rookie of the Year and catching fire once he comes up for the Giants. But it all started with a Benji Molina trade to Texas, which I think is sort of forgotten because of that era of Giants baseball, as you mentioned, 07, 08, and 09, he was a big bridge player to that world championship. Oh, huge. And Tim Linscombe will tell you to this day what Benji meant to him. Just someone who was always a pat you on the back and encourage you type of catcher. And Timmy needed that. A lot of times he needed to conquer any self-doubt that he had out there. And he needed a catcher who would tell him, hey, look, your stuff is plenty good enough. Just keep attacking. That's one thing we remember is that the thing that you remember about Benji being traded is that you know, he ended up being on the team that faced the Giants in the World Series with the Texas Rangers. And it's funny, he ends up getting a, a World Series ring for being on the losing side because everybody who played it at all during the season gets a ring. Is That's the way teams do it. But, you know, what we kind of forget is that was a big decision. Buster had been up in the big leagues, but they had played him mostly at first base. He's a guy who had started a total of seven games behind the plate in the big leagues. And they turned their whole staff over and went away from a catcher who knew that staff incredibly well. He caught Matt Cain for years. He caught, you know, everybody else there, Lincecum. And they decided Buster was ready for this. That was sort of the plan all along. As soon as Buster was ready, they would trade Benji because they knew that, you know, Benji was as gracious as he was. He's going to want to play. And so they sent him somewhere where he could be an everyday catcher. You know, the fact they made that decision, not at the trade deadline, but like the 1st of July, basically. And then you look at what Buster did that July. He carried that team. I mean, he had 24 RBIs in the month. He had seven homers and six doubles. He batted 417 in 27 games in July. And that's when the Giants shot out of the All-Star break, won 9 of 11. They were a fourth-place team at the All-Star break that year. But they really did give themselves a chance to make a run of the division with what they did in July, especially the second half of July. And that was Buster really busting down doors and, and leading that team. So if they don't make that decision to trade Benji, you know, maybe Buster uh, is a part-time guy or you wonder how are they going to mix him in? Well, they didn't even give themselves that sort of quandary. They just traded Benji to clear the decks for him. And that was one of the decisions that absolutely was critical in the Giants being able to do what they did. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. We can talk about the core four and the bullpen and you bring in, I mean, obviously there's the Chris Ray trade there for Benji Molina, but then they bring in uh, Ramon Ramirez comes in, right? A little bit later as well as Javi Lopez and all those trades happen. But walk me through, we all know about how the Cody Ross thing goes down. Walk me through, you mentioned a name that I think we all just totally forget was part of this roster. Jose Guillen, how weird of a situation was that at the end of 2010? And some of this is what had to happen, not what the Giants had to do, but what had to fall on their lap. You know, the the Rays had to decide in, in May that they were going to go ahead and eat nine million dollars which the rays never do and and they release pad burl and the giants you know took a flyer on him and that that ended up being a critical move and then with cody ross as we all know that was a blocking claim they wanted to keep the padres from making a waiver deal for him and the marlins basically said look we've got this guy cameron maben we want to play him more often we owe cody ross a million bucks we're just going to let him let you have him. And the Giants were like, whoa, okay, we've got to figure this out. How are we going to get him on the roster? Who are we going to give a phantom injury to? Oh, hey, Guillermo Moda, come here. You've got IT band syndrome. You're going to the disabled <laughs> list. It was just crazy. And then the guy ends up, you know, being uh, the NLCS MVP. But what still had to happen, as you mentioned, is 
Jose Guillen was the starting right fielder, and uh, he had had, a, I think, a six RBI game down the stretch, but mostly he'd, he'd really struggled. And, you know, I tried to get Bruce Bochy to go into this a little bit because we knew that Guillen all of a sudden was gone. He wasn't on the postseason roster. Ross was instead. They said he had a bad neck, and that, that was the reason why at the time. But it was weird that Guillen was not around the team at all. And and I was sniffing around, and then one of our other reporters got word that he had run afoul of the law somehow. And we worked all of our local police sources and tried everything and, and couldn't crack the code to figure out what happened. And then the New York Times, during the World Series, broke the news that there was a shipment of HGH that he had ordered. The FBI had intercepted it en route, and then they set up a sting and had it delivered, and his wife signed for it, and that's when they got him. So from what I understand, the Giants knew when they were setting their postseason roster that Guillen had gotten nailed on this FBI sting. And so obviously they weren't going to put him on the postseason roster at that point. But Bruce Bochy insists that it was more about playing time and they really wanted to give Guillen a chance. They'd gotten a really good report from Ned Yost with the Royals that he had something left. And then they were kind of like, well, you know, we trust Ned Yost's evaluation, but it just wasn't happening for him. Uh, His legs weren't under him. Uh, So they said Cody was the best player. Even to this day, Bruce Bochy says, went into the calculus. But you wonder, fine, okay, suppose Jose Guillen doesn't get popped by the FBI. And suppose he shows you just enough of a glimmer, of a flash, uh, to put him on the postseason roster. That means Cody Ross isn't on the roster. So all those things kind of still had to happen for Cody Ross to get a chance in October. And of course, he made the most of it. Yeah, you've got to make of it what you will, but it looks pretty good when you say, yeah, we just thought Cody Ross was better. And then hindsight yeah. plays out pretty good. It looks pretty good for Boach and his legacy, right? Yeah. One of my favorite moments, and we'll leave it here, is the last day of, of 2010. I think every Giants fan thinks about that day and the Padres collapse. And I almost got fired from my barista job at, at Nordstrom because I uh, I had a ticket. And I told my manager I really wanted to go. And she said, well, if you leave, you'll get written up. And I was like, well, what's that mean? She said it goes in your file. I was like, well, okay, I'm just going to go to the game then. And and the rest is history. I remember sitting up in 302 watching Jonathan Sanchez hit that triple. But that triple all happens because he totally misses a take sign. How crazy is that? Yeah, and I think Bruce Bochy sort of built that up in his memory because as he's telling the story, it was a take sign on a 3-0 pitch. And I looked it up, and, and I, I actually re- went and rewatched the game, and it was the first pitch. So it's one of those stories that I think he's sort of built up in his mind to make it even better. It's like, oh, it was a 3-0 pitch. But it was, and it was a first pitch, but still the take <laughs> sign was on, and he hit a triple. You know, So Johnny didn't always do what uh, the coaches told him to do, but somehow he made it work for him. And he's the guy who, who said with all of, the, of his impertinence that they were going to pass and beat the Padres. And, and Dave Rigetti kind of took him to task. He's like, dude, don't give him any bulletin board material. And so not only does Johnny go out there and beat Matt Latos with his arm, he beats him with his bat in the last game of the regular season. And, you know, if the Giants hadn't won that game, they were going to have to go to San Diego for a one-game playoff for the NL West. And if they hadn't won that game, then they'd have to go to Atlanta for a one-game playoff for the wild card. So imagine them having something left for a playoff series if that had happened. But it's one of those deals that Giants have always seemed to get the better of the Padres when it really matters. Uh, they're the team that they no-hit all the time, and the Padres have never had a no-hitter. But the tables have turned a little bit in the division right now, and the Padres are certainly a team on the upswing. And uh, I think it could be a pretty good rivalry between these teams for a while now. 
Well, it's a pretty fun uh, piece to go back and look at. Ten of the greatest or craziest moments that contributed to that Giants 2010 World Series championship and really winning that pennant. We didn't get the reunion this year, but now, Andy, you get to write one of these every two years. Yeah, right. It's kind of fun, I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a 2022. Oh, there's a reunion that year. 2024. What, are you sick of reunions? Oh, well, here's another one. Giants, make sure they get those reunions in, man. Get as many people out there as they can. Try to do it during a Diamondback series so Bumgarner can be there for them, too. That's exactly it. Andy, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the offseason. We'll catch up with you soon. Okay, look forward to it. Thanks for the time. Always fun catching up with Andy Baggerly and always fun looking back at the 2010 season. I was looking back at some of the other great moments he mentioned. Of course, Edgar Renteria losing his job at shortstop to Jose Uribe and then gaining it back. And the crucial World Series home run, of course, to ice it. John Bowker starts the year as an outfielder. How about the third baseman in that World Series? Mike Fontenot. Of course, Mike Fontenot takes over the third base job for Pablo Sandoval. He's there in 2010, and then Pablo gets that job back for 2012 and 2014. But a lot of crazy stories and, and memories from that season that I don't think we dive into enough and we missed out on that reunion this year. So the hope is that we get that back next season with fans in the ballpark. Thank you to Brian, my producer. Thank you to Andy Baggerly. And thank you to you, the listener. We enjoyed looking back at the 2010 season. But on Friday, we will look ahead to the 49ers and the Seahawks. A huge NFC West tilt after the Seahawks no longer undefeated with their loss last week to the Arizona Cardinals. 49ers, a big 33-6 win over Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. We'll scope out what that Sunday NFC West matchup looks like on Friday. But until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.